0: Hey, 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 Ruckus Maker. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague and podcast host, too, Joshua Stamper on the show. He has a new book called Aspire to Lead, which is excellent. I've checked it out and uh, highly recommend it. What I love about it, there's, you know, practical stuff, reflection questions, books typically do that. But not every author shows up in an authentic and vulnerable way that really resonates with the reader and it did with me. So I think it will with you as well. And so, again, I highly encourage you to check it out. I so appreciate how Joshua showed up and told stories that honestly other people wouldn't tell because they, they don't want to reveal those parts. But here's the thing is when you go there, people can learn, right? And learn from your failures, learn from your mistakes, the challenges and that kind of thing. And Joshua does it in a beautiful way. I will plant a seed. It's at the end of the podcast, but we dig into as well a bit of a story where how becoming a foster parent in the training that he had to go through, how it was really like a light bulb epiphany sort of moment for him in terms of actually serving his students. And so you'll for sure want to check that out. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is a show just for you, a ruckus maker who's an out-of-the-box Thinker making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. (music) Establish your legacy with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. Apply now. For our cohorts at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. That's BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Kateras using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Makers. I'm joined today with another epic and expert podcast host. Uh, He has a great show, and his name is Joshua Stamper. Uh, He is a middle school assistant principal for a North Texas school district where he's had the amazing opportunity to serve at four campuses in two school districts. Prior to Joshua's current position, he was a classroom art educator and athletic coach working with students in grades six to eight. In addition to his administrative position, Joshua, like I said, is a podcaster and check this out. Author of an upcoming book, Aspire to Lead. I definitely recommend you checking that out and it'll be linked up for you in the show notes. Uh, Joshua is also a leadership coach, education presenter, and podcast network manager for the Teach Better team. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Danny. It's awesome to be on with you again. Definitely. And the roles have reversed. Now (laughs) I am interviewing you. (laughs) All right. This is great. And you do have a fantastic book. I've dug into it. Like I said, highly recommend that Ruckus Makers uh, pick this one up. And it has this model, which it makes sense, you know, in terms of branding and that kind of thing too. It's around around your idea of uh, Aspire. So just let's start there. Tell us like high level, what is the Aspire model? For sure. So obviously
1: for branding, like you said, but also it was something that I was intentional about as far as reflecting on my own journey and kind of trying to highlight it. Aspects that were successful for me. Like you said, I was an art teacher, and going from that to administration was a pretty difficult journey. And to be honest, I, I fumbled a lot. I, I messed up quite a bit. And in the book, I wanted to be re- really transparent with my stories to share like what things I was successful in, but also what things I I had like these certain pitfalls. And so with that, I just kind of went through and decided what were some major important things that that helped me be successful to get to that next level. Um, like what you say often, right? Leveling up. And so mm. the letters for Aspire was activate, support, persevere, identity, reflection, and execute. And not, not that I'm going to go through every single one of those, but like the first one was really, really something I was passionate about, especially now being an administrator and seeing other folks say that they want to be a leader and then never doing anything beyond that conversation. And (laughs) it's so frustrating to now be on the other side of the desk to say, like, if you truly want something, you need to get up and go get it. You can't just expect that someone's going to walk through that door and, and magically ask you to lead something or to start an initiative or take over the position that they're currently in. And you need to activate your mindset. You need to activate, literally get up, go to the front office and ask, hey, what can I do for you so that you can get the experience needed to get into that role?
0: Right. And I think uh, that activate idea and in, in going to the office saying, hey, how can I help Or I'm here, right here to serve? Uh, I think you called that being an office rat it reminds <laughs> me of like being a gym rat or a pool yeah. rat. You know, those are things that I've been in the, I've been a comic book shop rat as well. For sure. But tell us more about about office rat.
1: So I know it sounds really bad, but it actually was a term of endearment. (laughs) (laughs) It was a term of endearment that my principal and my AP gave me because I was relentless. Like I did not leave the front office. So for instance, before school, during my off period, during lunch, like any time that I had downtime, I went up to the front office and my classroom was clear on the other side of the campus. So I had to make an extreme effort to hustle down there and get there. And And I talk about this in the book a little bit is like, it was a pretty intense setting there because there were five other people that had their admin certification or were just getting theirs. So it was a lot of competition. And I knew if I didn't get down there and get that experience, then someone else in the building was going to get that experience. And I didn't want to lose. <laughs> I didn't want to lose out on that. So I hustled every single day. I had a goal. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But I also knew like when I was going to go to the table for that interview, I needed to speak about what I had done because I had to prove that I wasn't just an art teacher, that I had the Mm -hmm. knowledge to lead in the instructional setting. I could lead in a cafeteria with 300 kids. I, you know, there's a lot of different things that obviously an administrator does. And so I wanted to make sure that I had every last experience I possibly could. So they gave me the, the title office route because I just, I was always there. <laughs> I was always asking questions. I'm always at present. And the other piece to that too is what I learned was as an administrator, they have so many tasks and they don't have any time to go and delegate a lot of tasks. Like they're not searching for people to take things on. But if I was there in the office and they needed to delegate something, I was always the one they were delegating to. And so I got to do a lot of crazy, wonderful things that I never would have gotten experience. Otherwise, if I was sitting in my classroom, just taking care of you know business and not to say that my classroom wasn't important, but I made sure that I delegated my time to make sure that my responsibilities were taken care of in the classroom, but I could also extend myself into the front office.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just about taking action and, uh, you know, making the vision, the future you saw for yourself, making it a reality. I know that there's a layer of sometimes privilege in the context, and it's not just as easy as saying, go out and do it. However, with that said, despite challenges you may face and that kind of thing, a go-getter attitude is going to serve you well, right? Period. And, uh, you know, I think it was Disney who said, if you dream it, you can do it. And so, and a lot of things need to fall in the right place. But the first, I don't know if it was Einstein or somebody else, but they talk about how uh, like genius is like 99% um, percent, uh, like inspiration. Oh, I'm messing this up. So I'll have to, <laughs> <laughs> but the point is I'm gonna keep this in the podcast too. I don't remember the quote, which is not normal for me. Normally I remember it, but the point is like, we think a lot, we talk a lot. The majority of people stay there and they don't do. Yep. So that's all I'm trying to highlight is that you became the office rep because again, uh, that administrative position was so important to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that will go a nice segue to this idea of uh, perseverance. Yeah. And you had, you know, you weren't always successful necessarily interviewing for administrative positions. And one thing I want to just bookmark here and tell the ruckus maker listening, you know, I get feedback a lot that I'm authentic and vulnerable. And I so appreciate that. You knocked it out of the park within the book, Joshua, because uh, you're sharing stories, not where you're just, you know, uh, doing a 360 windmill dunk, winning <laughs> the championship. No, you're also telling the stories of missing, you know, missing the layup with uh, two seconds to go. For sure. So anyways, there, there you are, you're, you're in a principal's office and I think it was a she, I could be wrong, but has a voicemail and feedback for you from the interview panel. So take us, take us to that moment. Cause it is about persevering. Oh,
1: for sure. So thank you so much, because that was what I was trying to get through is I was, I was trying to be as honest as possible. And, and like you said, like to make it where you want to be, you're going to fail <laughs> and you're, you're going to have a lot of trials through that process. And if you don't dust yourself off and get back up and try again, then obviously you're not going to get where you want to be. And that was definitely where I was. My first interview went okay. <laughs> and I might be generous with that. It wasn't <laughs> great. <laughs> I had done a lot of things on the campus level, but as far as the district went, as far as those district leaders, they really didn't know me for anything outside of what my principal was saying at that time. So going into the interview, I was talking a lot about what I was doing on, on the campus level, but I wasn't speaking on anything that I was providing outside of those four walls of, of that building. And so when those questions came of how I was you know, working with the community or working with the district or some of those things that are broader than the campus level, I was speaking outside of my own experience and I got really, really nervous <laughs> and I did not speak very well during those questions. And I was sweating profusely. I was just not myself. And I was, I was definitely fumbling the ball, if you will, for the sports metaphor. When I got done, I got back to the campus level. My AP and my principal, of course, had a lot of questions. They wanted me to like walk through every single question and, and share what I answered. And at that time, I could tell I probably wasn't going to get the position that I wanted I told them that. Of course, they were being supportive. Of course, you know, you, you get the position. You know, we've talked you up. We've, we've said all these things. So fast forward a couple days later, the principal said, hey, I called the director. I asked for feedback. And of course, I said some really nice things about you, told them that they would be crazy not to select you as the applicant moving forward to be an assistant principal. She said, I got a message back. I don't agree with everything that was stated on the message. Do you want to listen to it? And I sat there with my head down (laughs) because I knew it wasn't going to be anything that I wanted to hear, but it's something I needed to hear. And so I put my pride aside and I said, yes, I want to hear the message. And it wasn't short. It was probably about five minutes long. And it was a long list of things that they didn't feel I was ready to go to the next level. And it was like a sword just shooting through my heart. I, it was very, very painful. I had my head down the whole time. And the principal, as it was done, said, there are things I agree with, but a lot of that I don't. We need to build a plan to prove that you are the best candidate next year. And that's, a, that's the tough thing about education, right? Is If you're trying to get a position in the same district as you're in, you have to wait a full calendar year to then try again and prove yourself to get to that next level. And so that's what I decided to do. And feedback is something that we shouldn't be scared to receive, even if we don't agree with it. For me, it was a prideful thing, right? I know how to do X, Y, and Z, but to the district, that wasn't the case. That, the perception was far different. So what am I going to do to prove that I have that experience and that I know what I can do to be an assistant principal?
0: Yeah, that's good. And uh, so it sounds like you know from from that experience too with the voicemail, then you were able to hear even where you thought you were strong, but the perception was different. Like what you could work on, and eventually, obviously, you you've landed that position. So the story has a good ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny
1: because I I send a couple you know books out to different folks, and C J Reynolds, <laughs> who's on YouTube, if if the listeners are need some inspiration as as far as a teacher. He's amazing. But he called and was like, dude, I was reading your book and I didn't even he's like, I know your position and where you are now, but as I was reading, I was scared you weren't going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean yeah. that's that's probably a good thing.
0: Absolutely. Like movies and uh narratives, stories, you know, that kind of thing. It draws us in, you relate. Even when you know the ending and you feel it, like at the end of the day, that story is a transfer of emotion. So uh, like I said, you were really authentic, very vulnerable in what you shared. And, uh, you know, I resonated with it, too. So great job, you know, with the book. Thank you. Something in there, too, you you identify and, you know, it's maybe a small part, but I, I really love... When you talked to us about the um identity framework you called mm-hmm. it, yeah, and the reason the reason why is because it it was short, you know like uh three sections, some questions around it., yep. but what I love, and this is something that I like to teach as a coach, right, is just the the importance of being intentional, you know, and so you you have, if I remember correctly, you have the reader think about uh, how they want to be experienced. But then also, how how do they think like others are experiencing them and that kind of thing? And then that actually kind of connects to what we just finished talking about in terms of perseverance and the, the interview voicemail. But uh, tell us a little bit, though, about the identity framework and what the ruckus makers appetite so they go out and get this book.
1: Yeah. So I think the identity piece is really important for any leader because... You know, once I, I'm going to fast forward, once I did get the position as far as a dean of students, because that district worked a little bit different, you had to be a dean of students first before becoming a principal, but my first year, I, I did lose my identity. I was so focused on taking on the needs of every teacher and every student that um, needed help that I tried to be Superman, <laughs> and I lost everything that I valued and thought was important, and because of that, I was burnt out and, and almost left the profession altogether. And so I had that kind of in the back of my mind as I was writing this chapter, because I think identity is really, really important for any leader. And that doesn't matter where you are in that space. You know, it doesn't have to just be an education. It could be in business or another profession. But I, the three pieces was leadership identity, leadership goals, and leadership evidence. And that evidence piece, like you said, it was that interview process, right. Or that portfolio, if you will, if you're being evaluated, like what, what are the the tangible items that you have at the end? And so I just had some, you know, three main questions and, and I left some space for people to actually like fill it out in the book because I, I, it's, although it's not a workbook, I wanted someone to at least be able to flush out their ideas either in the book or on a piece of paper. But, you know, for leadership identity, it was how would I like to be described and viewed as a leader? And I think that's important because, I'm gonna I'm gonna equate it to soccer if you will <laughs> in soccer you only have the ball for ninety seconds to a minute in the entire game and I know when someone hears that they think that's insane because it's a 90 minute whole event right but as a player if you have the ball more than three seconds the ball is gonna get taken from you and you're gonna probably get knocked over right so you don't have very many many interactions with the ball. And when you do, it's very, very small amount of time. The same as when you're in a building leader, like every piece of um, interaction you have with a kid in the hallway or a teacher in the hallway, like all of those pieces are very, very small. And so you need to make sure that you're making an impact with everything that you're doing. And so when I'm leaving that interaction, it might be only 30 seconds, but how do I want to be viewed when I'm done with that, right? So yes, we have a full calendar year. That sounds like a ton of time. But as a leader, I may only have 5 minutes, 10 minutes with one of my teachers in all of my interactions. So I better be very intentional about my identity and how I'm serving and how when I walk away, they view me in that support. And if I have that mindset, then I'm going to be way more intentional in that interaction, even though it may seem minuscule and that it like, it doesn't mean much because it's only maybe a 20 second to a minute interaction with that teacher. The other piece is leadership goals. What will I accomplish individually for the campus and in my district? And that's similar to what we were talking about before, right? I'm not just impacting the teachers that are on my campus, just not only the students on my campus, I am impacting a city, entire city. So like, what is my outreach and how am I going to make an impact much greater than what I'm doing with the students on my campus or the teachers on my campus. And then the leadership experience, what are the outcomes of my initiatives, decisions, and programs? And so almost like a backwards design, like what are are my goals in everything that I do? And then what is the evidence that I can provide to show how I'm doing that when I'm talking to a district, when I'm looking to... Like you, you always say, like when I'm leveling up, right, when I'm going into to that next goal that I want to do, I better have something to bring to the table to say all of the amazing things that I'm doing and how that's impacting other folks. It's one thing to say, but it's another to actually have the piece of evidence in front of you.
0: I appreciate the focus on the micro moments and being super intentional, you know, with relationships, but then a macro view of your impact. You said an entire city, right? And so that, that's a really nice tension there because I don't know that leaders think about that as as often as they should, right? Like how this small moment matters significantly, you know, sweating the small stuff in the sense of uh, relationship building. And then, yeah, you may be in your school and doing your thing and that whatever, but there's a ripple effect out in the community. And so what do you want that to be? Because if you're not engineering it and orchestrating it, somebody else somebody else is. So uh really cool metaphor too with um soccer or football uh I probably held the ball for about 30 seconds not 90 <laughs> so but that's just cause I'm amazing. <laughs> I did I ever ask you do you have a Premier League club? I don't know if you do or don't. A premier club what do you mean? Like in uh the UK like uh you know like Liverpool or Arsenal. Oh no, I'm, we, I got to play in
1: Sweden with my college team. And so OIS, um, we got to visit them and, and actually um, practice with them. So they, they have a special place in my heart.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And the funny last story, and then we're going to pause for a message from our sponsors. But um, we, were, we were in the Netherlands, and my wife and I were meeting with her uh, mentor over there. She, she does, like, a program with the CDC type of thing over there. And uh, anyways, we're enjoying a really wonderful meal. And we're talking about football and how much we would love to see the Amsterdam club. Yeah. Amsterdam club, all right, A-J-A-X, right? Yeah, And uh, so being an American, I would pronounce that A-J-A-X. Ajax. <laughs> yeah. And they, like, for the life of them, they could not figure out, like, what football club they were, I was talking about. Right. I think their pronunciation is like Ajax or or, you don't, it's not a hard J is the point. Yeah. Like an idiot. So anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've made that mistake myself. That's how I knew you pronounced it that that
0: way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. (laughs) Well, like I said, we're going to pause real quick for a message from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about fish climbing trees and uh, you really want to stick around with this story about uh, just the, the power of, um, being a foster parent and how that applied to the the leadership process in the context of school. We'll be right back. Learn the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. A joint collaboration between the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Business School. Connect and collaborate with fellow school leaders as you address your problems of practice in our online professional development program. Apply today at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. That's BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during covid Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Joshua Stamper, who's a middle school AP. He is the podcast host of the Aspire podcast and now has a new book, Aspire to Lead, which I highly recommend that you check out. So these last two things I want to chat with you about, what the heck is it about fish climbing trees? I mean, what (laughs) is going on here? Well, I don't know if you've seen the
1: cartoon. As a former art teacher, I, I still love looking at imagery and and the one that stuck to my mind was the fact of all of these different animals looking to go for an assessment and, and the assessment is to climb a tree. And right growing up, I was not a star student by any means. I thought school was worthless. I didn't see the point in it. Um, in addition, a lot of things were going on in in my own personal life that I didn't have control over. And so for me personally now that I've reflected as an adult to have control of my life, I controlled school <laughs> and, and that control was, I didn't do very much. I did the very, bare minimum to pass. Right. So uh, at that time you could get a D and still pass the class into the next grade level. And that was, that was fine. Um, where I live in Texas, uh, anything below 70 is failing. So that, that would have been more challenging for me as a student growing up, but the way school was then was very difficult. And I felt like a lot of times that I was asked to do tasks that my ability was, was different, right? So for instance, a lot of times teachers now will provide assessments that give choice, right? Like a choice board to allow you to provide the knowledge of your mastery of a standard. And it's not a test. (laughs) And I think for myself as, as a learner, I would have been more successful in a setting like that, like a project-based environment. So all that being said is, My goal as an educator going back to school to become an art teacher and now an administrator was always to change education, to not allow it to be a place that I grew up in, where it felt like a one-size-fits-all model. And if you didn't play by those rules, then you weren't going to be successful. Obviously, we have a lot of folks that have a lot of strengths that are not viewed as strengths. For instance, I can draw you anything that you want, and I can make a living and have made a living through artists, But growing up, that was, Oh, you're going to be a starting artist that, that had no value to many people. And that was the conversation. And it was so frustrating for me because that is a strength of a lot of people. So why is that viewed as a weakness as a society, right? So there are many aspects of that music. There are so many kids that go to school only to play the saxophone, to play the trumpet, but that's not viewed as something that's going to allow them to be successful in life. But why is that? There are so many things, sports, right? I mean, I can go down the list of all of these elective courses that pay the way for our society. Like our society is innovative because we should be fostering creativity, but is our school representing that every single day.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you you sharing that. And uh, I think also a good segue to, um, to this last story, it's a personal story about the training you received about becoming a foster parent, but yes. it seemed like that was a light bulb moment for you and uh, and not every kid that comes to school, you know, shows up in a way that's like the teacher's ideal student, right? There's complex things happening um, beneath the surface that we might not be aware of. And so what was that light bulb moment, you know, in terms of of getting that training? Yeah.
1: Well, I'll be vulnerable and transparent in this too. We're foster parents. We've been for 10 years and have had five placements and we adopted three of those five placements. And so I have the amazing opportunity to have four boys and one girl in my house, two biological, three adopted. And the three adopted boys have medical needs and um, obviously saw trauma in utero. And to be a foster parent, you have to go through a lot of training. <laughs> so when I was first starting to be a foster parent, we had to go through this training and I was begrudgingly going. I, I was like, why do I have to go? I'm a parent already. I'm, I'm seeing success with my kids. I don't get this. Like this is backwards. And I had a really terrible mindset. And one of the, it was like the second or third session, it talked about trauma-informed care care. It was with TCU and Professor Purvis, and it rocked my world. This was the same year that I shared earlier about being a Daytona student, and it was a Title I school. We had, I was suspending kids every single day. We had a fight every other day. I mean, I had lines of kids out my door. It was a very traditional campus. The The setting had changed quite a bit from being a predominantly uh, wealthy area to then a slowly diminishing um I don't even know how to explain it, but it it shifted to being a title one school probably within five years. And so with that being um, by the demographics changing in that sense, the teachers just didn't have the tools needed for the things that were going on in the community. And because there was a lack of resources, because there was a lack of tools within the classroom, what it looked like was kids were just getting sent out of the classroom every single day. And then it was landing at my door and, like I said, I didn't have an identity at that point, And I was just trying to learn the job, taking on all these responsibilities. And I was getting burnt out. I was suspending kids left and right, either in school suspension or out of school suspension. And what was happening was I wasn't seeing any positive movement or improvement. All was happening was it was increasing and it was really deflating. I felt like I wasn't making a difference. So going back to foster care and learning the trauma-informed practices it was a totally different mindset. One as a parent, but then also I was thinking, well, how can I translate this to being an administrator? And the two are so intertwined because the way as educators, we think about our students, we would never do to our own children, right? If, if my kid at home makes a mistake, I'm not going to send them to their room for the entire day. And then never have a conversation about what happened or how it impacted other people or the behavior and how it should change. And then just send them back into the house the next day and never talk about it. Like it, it, pretend it just didn't even happen. Right. Like that just doesn't occur in our own house because I have a loving relationship with them. I'm of course, I'm going to teach them the behavior. I'm going to talk about how it inflicted other folks and, and how they need to restore that and a whole different concept. But then in school, it's like, it's so punitive, you know, I, I need to punish them. They need to learn and they're going to learn through fear. And it's just a very different mindset. And so going back to the campus, I was like, no, this is, this is not my identity. This is not what I value. I'm going to change this and I don't care who's coming with me. <laughs> I need, I need it to work in a different manner so that we can have things change through relationships and through restorative practices. And and I just started digging and trying to find, people that had similar mindset as, as I did. And so we built this action team. It was actually a relationship action team and not, not that this is the theme of our, our podcast. is we were called the rats group because it was relation action team similar to the office. Right. Right. So, um, so the rats group, we, we started to have a little cohort. And so it was just a small group of us. It was like five of us to begin with. And we're like, we're going to learn about restorative practices. We're going to learn about trauma informed tactics and then, we're going to use it in the classroom. And then once we have kind of this pilot, let's start telling other people of how it's impacting these kids. And we saw so many teachers, we didn't even have to tell them about it. They just knew that things were going on differently in these classrooms. And so other people started asking questions. Hey, why don't you just come in? We'll start learning together. And by the end of the, the school year, it went from five people to 40 people on our campus of people just wanting to learn more about it because they saw the difference that was going on down the hall and how the kids were not getting sent out anymore and how they were learning more in that classroom. And so we started to see this growth and it was, it was organic. It wasn't something from the top down, pushing down saying, you have to do this. This is what we're going to do as a campus. I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted, I want people that believe in it, try it. And then once the dividends worked, then other people could see that and want to do it in their own classroom.
0: Yeah. It's so good. You know, uh, what I love about that, one of my enemies in school leadership is the status quo, yeah. right? And and there are good traditions. There's things that that you should keep and should be held sacred. But just because you've been doing it a similar way for many years doesn't mean that it's the best, most appropriate or effective way. Not uh, all. And, and I appreciate what you're sharing there because you were able to make this change in a very traditional setting, if I understand correctly. And um this will be my reflection and add add to what I missed, but essentially forming a small group, piloting it, being extremely hungry and, and, and really getting all the resources you could around restorative practices. Then the proof was in the pudding in the sense that people saw like, these classes aren't having problems with the kids that I'm having problems with. So how do I shift my class to be more like this one over here? And that's how you created change in a very traditional setting. Did did I miss anything or is there, I'm sure there's more nuance that you could add or something. I don't know.
1: Well, I just think with the leader, like being a leader, you don't have to know everything. Like I didn't know everything about trauma-informed practices. I didn't know everything about restorative practices. It was, Hey, I want to learn with you. This is, this is something that we can do together. And so uh, I think that helped in this instance, because I was learning just as much as they were and, and going along in that journey um, and we had opportunities where we were reflecting on our practices and what we could change and modify for our own campus. And I think the perception, unfortunately, for a lot of leaders is that I have to know everything and I have to make all the decisions. And in this model, that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Ruckus Maker, listen, Joshua has been on the show before. So I'll point you back to his first show to hear about uh, how he, uh, what message he put on the school marquee and how he built his uh, dream school but I just want to create one last space, some space for one last question, which would be, what are you most proud of when creating this book?
1: <laughs> I, man, just holding it at the end, like the whole product. Like I, so I, I actually created the cover. So I'm, I'm proud Very of that cool. as a uh, yeah. as a former art teacher, but Danny, I mean, you've done you, now two books yourself. It's, it's a lengthy process. I mean, trying to get your ideas organized and, and put together and to see it, in its actuality at the end it's a little
0: overwhelming to be honest it's a little surreal yeah congrats well done I'm proud of you it's a great read and like I said encourage ruckus makers to pick it up all right well Joshua thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast of all the things we talked about today what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember to make sure to activate and everything that you do if you're passionate about it find a way but you got to